Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Humans XS Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by talking to somebody who's helped shape the city. This week I'm joined by Alan Tong, ex-professional footballer, sports psychology lecturer and mental health FA ambassador. Alan describes what it was like as a youth team player in the early Alex Ferguson years. It was, it was tough culture. Yeah. You know, we had to clean boots, we had to sweep dressing rooms, we was painting training grounds. It wasn't as glamorous as, as maybe... It is certainly today, you know, it's changed a lot over this last 20, 25 years. And he'll describe the heartbreak he felt after his career-ending injury. Yeah, I was, I was very lost for probably about four years. Clint lost, went through a series of jobs, doing different things, you know, working in warehouses. I was working for the post office, signing up with agencies, stuff like that. Yeah. So and anything to try and earn a, earn a bit of a wage. Sadly, since the recording of this episode, Eric Harrison, the former youth coach at Manchester United, who Alan cited as a major inspiration, has passed away. Gives me great pleasure to welcome to Humans Excess Manchester a man who at the age of just 14 became the first footballer to be signed to Manchester United by Alex Ferguson. Tragically, his football career ended just 10 years later, aged 24, following a devastating back injury. Since then, he's earned himself a PhD in football psychology and he's become an ambassador for Mental Health FA or Mental Health First Aid. Alan Tong, welcome to Humans Excess Manchester. Thank you, Clint. And you'll be the first uh, footballer that we've had on. Absolutely privileged to be here and couldn't come on and speak to you. Thanks for inviting me in. You're a great first footballer to have. I'm dare say there'll be others along the way, but your story is quite unique and it's not your usual football story. Let's start right at the beginning first of all. You're born in Bury, yeah? That's right, yeah. Fairfield Hospital. Yeah, it's still yeah. there, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah. Still knocking about 1972, so a long, quite a long time ago. Right. Uh, I, always, I always laugh that, you know, when you, you're applying for stuff now, like you have to put details into somewhere. It's always a worry when the year's getting like longer and longer, you know, when you've been on the click down list. <laughs> I'm 1959, so. man. It takes me a lot longer than you to get to mine. <laughs> yeah, really. Do. So I was very childhood then. What are your memories, the first memories of growing up in Bury? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think very, very football. Clint, driven from a young age. My dad, big United supporter, you know, United daft. And he always used to tell me about some of the tales of the, the top players back then. You know, your, your besties, your Dennis Laws, Bobby Charlton's and... And going back even further to, you know, the Busby babes. And and I kind of like a lot of families, I guess that was kind of passed on down the, the generations to myself. I can I can always remember like a ball at my feet and you know, my my dad my dad put some goals in the garden for me and things like that. So so I, I guess I guess quite a strong football identity from from a really early age, which which kind of sort of, you know, progressed on into playing for teams and uh, local Saturday sides, Sunday sides and then uh, managed to get into my Bolton Bolton schoolboy team, represented Greater Manchester County, and then uh, you know got got scouted got scouted for United eventually. Were you into music as well back then? Yeah, broad broad range of stuff. You know, you always used to sort of my dad was again a big music lover, sort of passed on. So used to remember listening to things like the, the Hollies and the Beatles, Rolling Stones. That was kind of my. My, my dad's favourite bands, and yeah. you know that, that that was kind of passed on to myself as well. So as as opposed to specific music, Clint, I, I quite quite broad, really, yeah. quite quite a broad interest across all all ages and all disciplines. But you always had your eye on being a footballer, even as a kid. Yeah, lo- love playing football. You know, it's I mean, this is kind of going back into the days where you remember like the cup finals as being a a brilliant family day. You know, if you if you weren't fortunate enough to get a ticket. 
it was back in the day where the final had probably or the tele coverage had started in the morning. Yeah. And it'd kind of follow some of the players and you'd see him having breakfast and, <laughs> you, and you'd see him getting onto the coach and stuff like that. And so I had warm memories of that. A couple of one good memory, one bad memory. Great memory for me was United when they won the cup in seventy seven, they stopped Liverpool doing the travel that year. Yeah. But then a couple of years later, seventy nine Arsenal done us in the last minute with you know an Alan Sunderland sort of winner. So that that probably your your older listeners will remember that. But again, going through the eighties, remember eighty uh, three. I think we beat Brighton eighty five. Everton Norman Whiteside scored. So it's it's all those remembering all those sort of highs and and sort of aligning yourself and hoping that one day you get the opportunity to maybe be in that position. And you did, because uh, some of those people you mentioned back then, you, you, you actually you literally played alongside Bobby Charlton at one point. We'll come to that in a minute too. But I remember that that through the 60s and 70s, like so when, the, uh, when it was cup final day, the country just stopped, and it? it was like it was like a royal wedding, wasn't it? Every it was. time, every time it was a cup final. There were special days, and, and you know, great, great warm memories from your childhood, and those sort of things, and because it brings the family together, and it's like you get all the coverage. More often than not, it was a sunny afternoon at Wembley, and yeah. you know, great, great memories from stuff like that. And I think, I think in the modern day, Clint, it's kind of more com- commercialized now. You know, you get you get a lot of the, the cup finals, and it's all about the jazz, and you get you know, singers beforehand and stuff yeah. like that and all sorts going on. And, and more often than not, I think they're like our five kickoffs now, where it yeah. used to be like three o'clock back in the, the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and there's a lot of money involved now, aren't there, these oh, days, huge. which there wasn't back then, was there? No. How did you go on at school? Did you do all right as a kid? I yeah, could... always had a, always had a, enjoyed my schooling. You know, I did did quite well. Primary school, got, you know, good reports. Uh, so I, I always kind of had, following my football career, I had like quite a, a strong academic identity as well, whereas... You know, I did all right at my GCSE, so I wasn't unusual back then, I think, <laughs> heading into a football club at 16 full-time yeah. with a decent amount of qualifications uh, around me. Very unusual. And it's same with it like, kids that were focusing on music when I was at school. They did, did crap academically, mm-hmm. but some of us did all right in music. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so you yeah. ended up at Bolton Lads Club. How, yeah. how old were you then when you Yeah, Bolton them? Lads Club, I think it was about, it was, I think it was under 14s I started with Bolton and uh, oh, probably one of the best times that I had in my football and that was only because the coach that I had at that time was unbelievably supportive he used to sort of you know he used to encourage me to get on the ball I was on all the free kicks I was on all the corners and you know just every, every sort of thing I did he was very praiseworthy of me and I think you know from a personality perspective I, I enjoyed that yeah. you know I enjoyed that but I think everybody does Clint don't they enjoy that sort of that backing yeah. And it was, uh, I don't know if you remember, it was an old player who used to play for Man City called Paul Molden. I remember that uh, name. Yeah, back in the 80s. And that, it was his dad, Tony, who right. was the coach back then. And a uh, oh, f- fantastic man. And, and Tony got a lot of warm memories of him in relation to my football experiences. You know, you remember great coaches. He, he was fantastic for me. And like you said, some of your fondest memories back then because life was pretty free of pressure, wasn't it? It was. Whereas it when was. you ended up at United, you're suddenly part of this big machine, which we're going to come to in a minute yeah. or two. When did uh, you first hear that Alex Ferguson was uh, keeping an eye on you? Yeah, well, it, what happened back then, Clive, we used to get used to notice scouts coming to games and it was an old scout back then for United called George Knight who used to follow the Bolton area and used to notice George on Sunday mornings or he'd follow the Bolton schoolboys on a Saturday morning. And it was kind of, I think it was not, it wasn't an instant, oh, we'll take you, come on trial. It was, I think it was kind of watching me for a, for a little while. Mm. And uh, the, the the moment I remember, I think I was playing for Greater Manchester County on Macclesfield Towns ground. Uh, I can't remember the opposition, but it was a fella called Joe Brown who came watching. And Joe was the youth development officer at that time. 
And then following that, I think he approached me mum and dad after that match and said, we'd, we'd like to invite Alan down for to United on trial. Wow. What a moment. Oh, incredible, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> almost, a dream, almost a dream coming true, really. You know, yeah. the United, we're, we're all United supporters in the family. So that was uh, that was an incredible time and so, something that gives you, you know, a, a lot of warm memories thinking about it. I bet you didn't sleep that night, did you? Tossing and turning, <laughs> dreaming of scoring winners in cup finals, I think, at that stage. So, yeah. so you yeah. joined then, you were 14, you joined United on a, did they call it a schoolboy contract? That's right, Clint, yeah. School, signed schoolboy forms back then, so so how it worked is I used to go down to the cliff uh, in Lower Broughton on a, I think we trained on a Monday night and a Thursday night from something like six to eight or, and then usually, you, the, my first representative side at United was playing in something called the B team. Right. So they used to have four teams back then. First team reserves, A and B. So anybody sort of around the schoolboy age has started off in the B team and then hopefully progress you through progress right. you through the sides. Try and paint us a little picture of your day-to-day at United because it wasn't just about the football. They had you doing jobs and that, didn't they? Yeah, so, it was. It like was, decorating and that. It was. <laughs> it, was it, it was. It was a very different culture, you know, and, and, and I think something, Clint, that shocked me a little bit. Yeah. You know, you, you have these sort of these visions and this imagery of it like being a almost like a football factory where you you're just pinging balls across the cliff every morning and and everything's rosy but it was it was tough culture yeah. you know we had to clean boots we had to sweep dressing rooms like you say we was painting training grounds united had a another training ground alongside the cliff called littleton road or ayrshire road yeah so we used to we used to have to go and, you know get on the get on the tractor and and, and spray sand and you know with your spades and stuff like that so so it, it wasn't as glamorous. It wasn't as glamorous as, as maybe it is certainly today. You know, it's changed a lot over this last 20, 25 years. It sounds like child labour, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it, it was, really. Right? It is. I didn't expect to be going to United training and coming back with all paint on my tracksuits and stuff like that. So. And what was uh, Ferguson like to work with back then? Tough man. Uh, a winner. Disciplined. Uh, good, good experience from Sir Alex. He, he kind of, I think the club back then, Clint was a bit different because when Sir Alex took over, they were almost in a transition period. They were in the midst of this. They've not won the league for many, many years. And I think that was the objective of him. But that took time. Mm. You know, I think Sir Alex joined November 86 and I think they didn't win a trophy till 1990. You know, in, in modern football, I'm not sure if you'd get four seasons to do that. He says, yeah, you wouldn't get a couple of weeks, don't you? Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, you, you hear a manager's getting sacked after like three months or, you know, even less than that. So... So I think it was almost like a rebuilding period at that time. And, you know, I always joke, Clint, to my mum and dad, if they'd have waited a couple of years, I might have been in with that class of 92. Yeah, but, well, you weren't far <laughs> off, were you? No, a couple, couple of years behind them. Yeah. So so Giggs was on your team, wasn't he, at he that was, point? When you, he was. Yeah. He, he, again, outstanding. I think the first time I saw Ryan, about 14 years old, I turned up to the cliff training ground to just to, to, uh, to train with Eric Harrison back then and, and Ryan was in like the year, a couple of year groups below me, so they had the earlier slot. And uh, I remember Eric Harrison coming over to his group. I think it was a group of 14, 15 year olds and saying, See that kid over there? It's only like a little spindly, thin, you know, kid at the time. And he said, He's going to be some player. Him. And for me as a 14, 15, it didn't mean a lot at the time, yeah. you know, because you don't know what's coming tomorrow, never mind what's going to happen in five, six years. 
But he wasn't wrong, Eric, was he? This was you good, know, good incredible Ryan was an unbelievable professional. What were the wages like back then? I mean, did you get a wage as a teenager? Was it a, a payment? Into- yeah, we, it was again, I think it was a. Sometimes things happen in circles, Clint, where things kick in again. It was on that the, the old apprentice scheme that you may remember called the YTS. YTS. So my first, my first year's wage at United was astonishing £28.50 a week. And I used to get, uh, I think it was £6 a week bus pass, something like that, to get me to the to the cliff and back from, yeah. from where I lived. And what were the full-timers getting then, the, 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 main, the main players? Yeah, what were they I'd, I'd, I'd probably say that they were probably on maybe, you know, your top-paid players, I'd say, uh, let me think, Pro- probably maybe £600, £800 a week, something like that, because the only thing we got was like a bonus sheet. And I remember they used to get a £100 a point for winning, so mm. £300. But if you look at some of the figures these days, <laughs> I, I don't know like what eight hundred pounds, you know, uh, how far it go in a footballer's world. It well, might buy you the, the actual ball that they're playing. <laughs> what, do, do you find yourself exasperated when you look at how much um, money is involved in modern football and how it's changed the old everything about the game? Do you, do you find yeah. do you find it a bit I th- sad? I think, I think there's been a, a massive shift in in relation to that, Clint. I think football to me has always been entrenched in the working classes and. And I think that, you know, when I used to go on trial and play at United more often than not in the car park, you'd see fruit and veg vans or, you know, older cars or... But these days you tend to go into, like, academy car parks and there's Range Rovers in there and BMW. So mm. I think with all the money that's been sort of ploughed into the game, maybe the the working classes have kind of been detached from that a little bit. And, yeah. you know, even affording to go to the games is... Is expensive, you know, and you read about these lads getting three hundred grand a week, four hundred grand a week, but ticket prices never seem to get reduced, or the, the fans always seem to suffer. Which I think it's got to maybe try and level that up a little bit. W- will it happen? Mm. I'm not sure. It's hard to retain any element of soul in it. Something like they call it the beautiful game. Obviously, mm. it's been the beautiful game for so long. It was always going to happen that the money men were going to start getting involved at some point, and yeah. here we are. But hopefully, it won't destroy the uh, yeah. spirit of the game too yeah. much. You also got to meet Samat Busby, didn't you, several times? Fantastic in memories again. You know, Samat used to come and watch some of the youth games. So how it used to work, Clinton, back then, is youth games would probably happen in the morning, say 11 o'clock kickoff on the cliff or Littleton Road if if he was in the A team or the B team. And more often than not, Sir Alex would come and have a look and Sir Bobby would turn up and in and Samat, Samat used to come and have a look as well. And he was lucky enough to... Samat joined us on a tour. We went to Switzerland in, in something called the Blue Star Tournament. And so Matt Busby had a, a, an affinity with that because he'd been taking the Busby Babes there years before. And uh, I remember Sir Matt coming and, and just in, just almost in awe of these people, Clint, a little mm. bit frightened of them, I'm really, not in a nasty way, but just, just because of the power and the esteem that he had. And I remember one evening we were sat in the foyer in the hotel playing cards and just, just having a mingle with some of the players and sort of saw Sir Matt edging over. And uh, he said, he said, okay, boys, you know, in that gravelly, he had a gravelly yeah. sort of Bell's Hill tone and, and you said, like, we're a bit frightened, like I said, and said, yeah, yeah not so bad, good, so Matt, thank you, said, as long as you're enjoying yourself, that's the main thing. And right. I thought that philosophy must have been in his teams. Absolutely, you know. So, And tell us about the time he played alongside Bobby Charlton on the actual same team as Bobby. Yeah, well, that, again, that was incredible. That was, that was at Blue Star again, Clinton. What had happened is we'd, we'd finished the tournament and um, we had, uh, I think it was a Brazilian side called Bo- Botafogo, and a, and a representative of Botafogo had come to see a United rep and said, is there any chance we can have you a f- play your friendly tomorrow? Well, we weren't going home till sort of the, the day after that. So, you know, yeah, OK, not a problem. And they said, we, we'd be really privileged if Sir Bobby played. So thinking, 
So Bobby was must have been about fifty or sixty on at the time. You know, <laughs> you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, he surely he can't run. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. He could still do oh, it. Oh, he was knocking twenty-five yard passes, short passes, whistling shots over the bat. I think he scored one of the goals. And I always think to myself, crikey, what must have you have been like in your prime? You know, like if, if he can still do that with a group of under eighteens, mm. yeah, running the show. So what a memory. What would you highlight be of your footballing career? There was one moment that you could cherish for the rest yeah, of the day. Yeah, I think probably signing. I think I think when they, they offered United offered me and said we're gonna give you like schoolboy forms and they offered me like an apprenticeship with it. I can recall going into flat flying into my home on that evening, like telling my mum was there first, my dad was at work and just said like United want to sign me. Mm. So that that's very warm. But I think I think one of the probably if anybody asked you what's the highlight, I'd probably say something a bit different. I'd probably say in getting back up from the disappointment because I got a real blow at 19 yeah. when, you know, Sir Alex had said to me, we don't feel as though you, you're progressing enough to be a candidate for the first team. You know, I'd been on the, fr- been at Reses and I'd played in a couple of first team friendlies, but yeah. I wasn't, I couldn't quite get that next step into the first team squad. And, and it was like, uh, yeah, heartbroken, Clint, because, you know, you'd done all that training yeah. and playing and putting your heart and soul into something. And then you just get a slap in the chops then, unfortunately. And, you know, left to pick up the pieces. There's a lot of parallels with musicians. I said this to you before we started recording today that a lot of uh, a lot of bands go through it. My band went through it. One minute we were doing Top of the Pops and headlining festivals. Next minute we had no record deal and I was signing on. So but it's, there's, there's a lot of parallels yeah. with it. But like you say, you just uh, fight through it and come back even stronger and better. Mm. So it was 1991, wasn't it? You yeah. moved to uh, Exeter City. That's right, yeah. So and again, a bit, a bit strange. You know, you say in your career, Man United to Exeter sometimes doesn't go hand in hand those two clubs, but... It come via uh, Alan Ball, who's an old like '66 winner World Cups. Uh, he he was a a manager of a a party or a representative game that I'd played in while I was at United. We I got represented to go and play for the Football League Eleven in Russia in Moscow, and and it was Alan Ball, a lad called Laurie McMenemy at the time, who took the party. And then when sort of United and we're not work, working out, uh, Ballie sort of got wind of that, and he and he invited me down to there, so. So I remember you had a little Ford Fiesta at the time and, you, and you're thinking to yourself, Exeter's not on your doorstep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a long trip down there. And, yeah. and you know, we, we speak about two different cultures like Manchester and Exeter. You know, Manchester, more, you know, driven music scene, more hustle and bustle and Exeter, quite a quaint, quiet little place. So again, a bit, bit of a cultural adaptation took place then, but but really enjoyed my time there. You yeah. know, I'd had a few great seasons, managed to get into the first team and, and I was just getting my career back on track again when, again, another slap in the chops happened and got a bad injury. Was it the injury that caused the back problems? I know it started with uh, tingling sensations yeah. in your arms and uh, yeah. it got worse from there. So tell yeah. us how that all came about. Well, again, it, it's difficult. You know, A lot of lads who go down the lower leagues will probably resonate with this in that you don't get as long as contracts as some of the elite-level players. You know, like you, you hear elite-level players, they sign four- and five-year deals, whereas you go down the food chain a bit... And it's almost like one year and two year deals, and uh, I was kind of I think I think first of all I got given a one year deal, and then I got through that, and then I got offered a two year deal. But well into that, I kind of started getting t- pins and needles in my feet and my arms, and and but I, I was stupid. Like, I don't know why I did this, but I was maybe just thinking to myself, if I can get over it, mm. I can get another contract, and at least I'm a bit more settled. I always had that worry in the back of my mind, so I played with this for for maybe a few weeks more than I should have done. But it got to a stage where I just couldn't, you know, I was struggling to pull my socks on and I thought, I'm going to have to see the physio and uh, report this. And and uh, he said, he'll send you for a scan. 
Um, I, all my bottom of my spine was kind of out of alignment. I needed sc- screws and plates in there, and mm. and I started on the process of quite a, a big rehabilitation program. And you know, it come come sort of six months, nine months later, I, I, had, to, I had a word with surgeon. He said, "I don't, th- you know, I think it might be worth having a look at, you know, taking some insurance money that and and, and looking for you know another opportunity somewhere else. Your, your football career is coming to an end." Yeah, so you so, you stepped out of it. Yeah. And uh, what was the immediate period after that like for you personally? Yeah, lo- lost. Mm. Yeah, I was I was very lost for. I'd say, let me think here, 24 years, probably about four years. Clint Loss went through a series of jobs, doing different things, you know, working in warehouses. I was working for the post office, signing up with agencies, stuff like that. So anything to try and earn a a bit of a wage. And then I kind of got to 28 years old and I thought, well, I was reasonably academic at school. You know, Man United at, at the time, when I joined them as an apprentice, had put me through a college course. So I had that, I had that in my back pocket. And I, and I used that to to go and uh, start a sports science degree at the University of Bolton. So mm. I uh, I decided to re-engage with my education. Yeah. And and I think funny funny sort of situation really because it's almost like you're going back to eighteen again. You know, like most people have done their A levels and they start a degree, but I was twenty eight going back to eighteen. So it's like you know, I'm, but I had to step back to go forwards again, or else I, you know I'm not too sure where I, where I would have been at it, the moment. It's funny that that period of your life there coincides exactly to the the years like 96 97 to the period when i was on my ass big time i was in a different part of manchester than you i was in rochdale but it's exactly the same exactly the same you're in this the the pit the you know the lowest point you've ever had in your working life so what do you do you either roll over and die or you just fight your way out of it which is what you did and what what i did as well so well well done to you and and like you say clint i think i remember having to go and sign on for a little period and and seeing a lad who i used to go to school with in sort of the the benefits office and, and you know, and it it's not shame, it's not embarrassment, but you feel that at the time because they, you know, they'd known you through the school and as, you know, Alan Tong, strong football identity. Manchester Apprentice United. at United, yeah. pro at United, got assigned a pro deal at United and and it, it's tough, isn't it? It's like yeah. you say, you you plummet, you plummet very quickly to the bottom of that greasy pole and, mm. but like you say, I think what, what makes me most proud, I suppose, was picking ourselves back up again, Clinton, yeah. and moving forwards. Because back know. then, you couldn't you couldn't turn around to somebody and say, yeah, I need a bit of therapy on this. I'm in a, I'm in a bad place here. Um, that support wasn't there, was no, it? No. And it, even it to the point where your close mates would mm. not always relate to how you're feeling about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, they'd, they'd assume you've got shitloads of money in the yeah. bank, you yeah. and me, which yeah. we didn't yeah. have. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went on and started writing more songs and formed another silly band and that. But you went on and did your further education thing. Did you sort of feel... Was that a therapeutic thing or was it a career sort of driven decision? Well, it, I, th- I think like a lot of students, you know, you, you kind of start your programme and, you, and you, you go for this degree in sports science and, you, you know, because I've got a, a broad interest in sport, you know, not just football. I like golf. I, you know, I follow, follow most things on Sky. If there's boxing on, I'll watch that. If there's horse racing on, I'll watch that. You know, a broad range of stuff. So I thought if I could find a job in sport, you know, that would be the ideal. But I went a couple of years into my degree and was still unsure you know, where I was headed and and I think it was just maybe a bit of inspiration and, and watching some of the lecturers in action and thinking to myself, you know, you know, with a bit of training and a bit of mentoring and a bit of guidance, I could probably be quite good at that. You know, I, I'd been in dressing rooms with players, so I understood banter, I understand unity, working together. Injury. Injuries and, and a whole range of sports stuff. So it it's kind of sort of, like we say, it's, it's bending that disappointment then into a, into a sort of a... Ch- 
an opportunity to move your life on again. And, yeah. and that, that's that's where it came from, really. And and since I did my degree, I'd, I'd done a teacher training qualification straight away after. I've done a master's degree in philosophy. And, and as you said, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a stone throw from getting my PhD over the line as well. And and I, and I think sort of re-engaging with that education has given me a little bit of purpose and meaning again. Let's talk about, I mentioned an entry before, Adrian Doherty, who was um, a United player that you played directly alongside. In fact, you photographed by his side, aren't you, one of the team yeah. pictures. A young chap who, sadly, no longer with us, but uh, he was hailed as being probably one of the greatest since George Best yeah. and uh, never got a chance to see his full potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got injured too young, he died too young. Tell us about Adrian, I want to talk about him, yeah, fascinating yeah. story. Well, Adrian was a, a little Irish lad that, uh, that that's, like you say, Clint played in the same youth teams as I did and, oh, outstanding ability. Uh, like I say, he was a little right winger. He, he he could he had pace, he had trickery, he had skills, and and uh, quite quite different from your from your stereotypical footballer, Adrian. He had quite a broad identity. I think he had that complex identity. He used to like Bob Dylan. He used to he used to like philosophy. He used to read about all different psychologists, and he used to go busking on uh, Market Street <laughs> yeah, in Manchester. Incredible story that. Yeah, I think that. You know, United back then, Clint, they used to give you two complimentary tickets for games. And, uh, you know, not, not, he wouldn't tout them or anything like that. Or it's not about making money, but he, he just found more interest in meaning than going singing the times they are a changing in Manchester City Centre <laughs> than going watching the first team play at that time. And, and you think to yourself, you know, if that, imagine a United apprentice or a scholar doing that in the modern day. And mm. it's kind of difficult to comprehend, but. But it, like you say, I think at the time he was rated on a parallel as Ryan. You yeah. know, Ryan was outstanding as a youngster, but, but I think Adrian was close to first team debut as well. Even Ryan says he probably was mm. slightly better than yeah, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, and, and to get that praise off someone like Ryan is yeah. is unbelievable, really. But but again, like you say, Clint, this this kind of for all the glory and all the all the sort of the success and the superstardom that some lads get, there's tucked under there. You know, there's your disappointing stories as well, and. And like you said, I think he he was just allowed to drift out of football really early. I think I think he was he ended up working at a chocolate factory in Preston, and mm. I think he was over in uh, in in Holland in Amsterdam where I think he got a job in a furniture place. But he was free spirited. He used to just turn up and he was, he's gone working in Holland or he's working at a chocolate factory. Or he's doing this. He's doing that, and and he yeah. fell into I think he fell into a canal going to work or coming away from work, and obviously it might have been early in the morning, nobody around, and. You know, went into a coma and, and sadly lost his life. I think it was a day before either his 27th or 28th birthday, yeah, something like 27. that. 27. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? That, that parallel universe, it is out there somewhere and mm. Adrian Doherty will be like the Beckham in that world, won't he? Yeah. And you'll be right yeah. outside of him as well. Oh, won't that's nice. It's it's really. it, yeah. Let's talk about the uh, Mental Health FA. When I yeah. first saw this, I thought it was something to do with the Football Association. Yeah. Nothing to do with that. It's yeah. Mental Health First Aid. Yeah. Tell us about what that charity does and your involvement with it. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a lad called Colin Dolan and he, he approached, I think he emailed me and he said he's looking to get a few footballers. I think Neville Southall's involved with it and a couple, couple of lads who have played in the past and, and just to promote some of the work they do. They, they work a lot in the community and uh, I think as we stand, I mentioned to you before, he's, he's trying to get some money raised at the moment to take a, a group of young footballers who've got who've had mental health issues and problems uh, over to Italy to play in a five-a-side tournament. So um, he's, he's, he's on Twitter as Colin Dolan and he just asked me to, to try and promote some of the stuff that they do because... You know, we're we're in a crisis, aren't we? Like a world crisis at the moment with mental health, anxiety, depression. There's yeah. there's a whole range of different different issues associated with that. 
and I think I think we're getting a little bit more understanding of it. We're getting a more appreciative of you know people have different issues, and I, and I think that really really needs to keep getting pushed and. And hopefully we can, you know, maybe get some happier people one day. And, yeah, you know, and it can only get better. It's like, like I so said, we're fortunate that we have in an age where issues like mental health are talked about and embraced yeah. and generally understood more so than any other time in human history. Yeah. So it takes something devastatingly shit to to mm-hmm. stop that forward yeah, movement, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, and I reckon that our football social people here, at Excess, I reckon that they, we've got enough followers that mm-hmm. follow the station. Uh, that love football that we can make up that with a 1500 quid tell us about um, your life now then have you got kids yeah two children uh, my daughter my daughter's up at uh, at Newcastle University Clinton and once she's coming to, to the end of her studies so she's done a degree in English so very, so very proud of her my son unfortunately had a little bit of a knockback a month or two ago he, he was with Oldham for a season or two and Unfortunately, they've said to him that you know he, they felt he wasn't quite good enough to get awarded a scholarship. But he's gone into a little development group at Bolton Wanderers at the moment. So, so I think he's he's eyeing up his next steps in yeah. relation to. I think a lot of clubs these days do. You play play and train for a few days a week, but you you do a college course around it as well. At uh, and I think I think it's all based in the ground at Bolton. So we went on a. Uh, on a little open day a few weeks ago, and he's got an interview coming up for that. Right. So, so mate, you never know. He might follow follow in my footsteps yeah. and have have a little try at football, you know. But I always say to him, you know, just enjoy it as much. I wish people would say that to me. Enjoy it as much as you can because yeah. there's highs in there. Of course, there is. But there's, there's lots of laws to fight off as well, and like yeah. life, I suppose. People buy into passion. I find that with a lot of what I do. I'm not great at any of the things that I do, but I'm passionate about all of them. And, mm. That's why people buy into it, innit? And football's the same, innit? Yeah, yeah. Do you still support the team? Then you still follow United? Yeah, still, still get there every so often. You know, I'm not, I'm not a season ticket. I think most of my sat have been taken up, following my, my son Sam around for the last sort of few years. So, but I, I try to get him when I can. And you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be involved with the Ex Players Association as well. They have a few events. Uh, I think it's about four events a year, a couple of golf days, and you know, all raising money for charity, which is fantastic. Mm. And I, I always like, I love talking to the old lads, you know, like lads like your Alex Dawsons and Carlos Satoris, and they're very humble, you know. Yeah. Football was a very, very different time back in the, in that era. I think what they do worry about Auckland is the future of the association. A lot, a lot of the modern players what don't seem to want to engage it because, you know, if you have a look at the CVs of, of most of them, they kind of come to United for a few seasons and they're going off somewhere else. And, yeah. you know, an ex-players association maybe doesn't hold as much clout in the modern day as it used to do. Right. So I think I think they're a bit concerned about that. So, so if there's any younger members who want to get involved <laughs> with it to keep it alive, you know, jump on side and, and contact Alan Wardle or Jimmy Elms there, like the treasurers and the, and the people who run the, the association. You mentioned your lad being a footballer then. I, mean, I bet yeah. because of what you've gone through and you being, obviously, you're going to be a mentor because you're his dad. Yeah. I bet he's got the academic backup yeah. in case the football thing doesn't happen. Yeah, we, we push that. I, I, absolutely. So, like, again, from experience and learning, I think for any young footballer, it's important to yeah. not put all your eggs in one basket. You know, it, I think that that's where the problems come. If you if you just think I am a footballer and nothing else, a bit like you mentioned Clint, about musicians. If I am a musician and nothing else, yeah. and it doesn't work out, you know what? What's your backup plan? Yeah. Where are you going after that? You've just got some great stories to tell. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely right. What advice do you give then to youngsters? I mean, you've probably done it there. One would yeah. be um, have a backup plan and yeah. two enjoy it. All, all I'd say, Clint, is don't try. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. I was saying to before in um, about the. 
I think some parents now, you, your kid gets invited in for a trial, which is brilliant. It's, it's only the, that's only the first step on a very long journey. And I feel sometimes parents get like 10,000 miles into the future and you think he's, he's only 12, she's only 12. Mm. You know, they, they've got a long journey yet. And I think some of the parents think like he's going to be the next superstar or he's, he's going to be earning 20 grand a week by the time he's 17. And, you know, it, it's, that's not the right thing. I think to, you've got to enjoy your football, embrace, just embrace every day and embrace the experiences that you get as well. You know, I think I think that's one thing that, that I didn't do enough is almost be patient and just enjoy it at the time. It was always like looking ahead to the next thing and then when you're out of it, you you cash your mind back and you think, I just wish I'd have been a little bit more patient then and embrace it and enjoyed it a bit more. So, yeah. so that would be my, my advice. Yeah. You come across as still being a very proud Mancunian. Mm. You consider oh, yourself? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, represented the county, like I say, very, very strong associations with United through my dad and through my little spell there and... And, and very lucky to play with some greats. You know, I've not come away from football from the financial elements because you can't really buy a Porsche on £28.50 a week, like, can you? <laughs> but uh, but me- memories are, you know, memories are my, are my pillows, as it were. You know, I've got, like, played with some great players. Rob, Brian Robson, Norman Whiteside, Giggsy, Gordon Strachan, Stevie Bruce, Paul McGrath, you know. Yeah. Great, great memories. And but but not only that, like some of the apprentice lads were good as well. I still keep in contact with that lads like Giuliano Majorano who was there for for a spell. I think it's like it is very much like the army. Sometimes you you battle away and you work together and you sweat together, but then you don't see people for ages. Yeah. But then when you meet up with them again, you can. There's always that. I think that level of respect. I think you know what you're up to now and what you're doing and. Do you remember it? Do you remember Eric Harrison? <laughs> it's exactly yeah, the same as the musicians yeah, when it's yeah. like the old Manchester bands whenever we bump into each other, all the anecdotes. Yeah, and we've all absolutely. got the same battle scars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Still breathing, fortunately. Yeah. If I was to say to you, Alan, yeah. give me the names of two or three humans of excess Manchester, two, three important people, either from Manchester or people who've uh, contributed yeah. to the city. Yeah. Well, I think, I think for me, Clint, it's all about... I, I always believe that if you go through your life's journey so far... You almost get at different points of that journey outstanding people, I think, in your life, and that goes right back into your schooling, you know, primary school, coaches, uh, managers, and then, you know, even academics. Now, I've, uh, my PhD is being mentored by Mark Nesty, and Mark is he's one of the few people to have worked in the Premier League as a sports psychologist. So you get a lot of sports psychologists, but they tend to work with the, the academies or the youngsters. Mark's been in with the first team, lad, so... You know, he, he's a, a brilliant academic. So to meet someone like that's fantastic. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I've mentioned throughout the, the sort of podcast, you know, primary school teachers, Mr. Matt Faddian, I remember, is a great man. Tony Mould and my coach. You know, a l- little bit Sir Alec, and, Sir Alex and Eric, a little bit of stuff there, but maybe not as much as some of these other guys that I've met. Yeah. So, so I'd probably say that primary school teachers, secondary school teachers, coaches... And you know, my academics that I've kind of met, they're, they're kind of the ones that have that have been most inspirational for me. Before you go, Alan, describe Manchester in three words. Manchester in three words. I think the first one I've got to say is United, but not in the Old Trafford sort of United, <laughs> in the togetherness. The small so, we'll, we'll United. I'll go with spirit as well. And I'll go with passion. Let's go with passion, Clint, I think. Alan Tong, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. Thank you, Clint, so much. That was Alan Tong. Make sure you join us next week where I'll be speaking to Colin Gibbons, factory records enthusiast and the owner of everything the Manchester label ever released. Don't forget to follow us on social media, subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester, rate us and feel free to leave us a review. We love getting your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week.